Well, good morning. My name is John Carroll. I am one of the pastors here at Hope Covenant. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to be able to do that, perhaps after the service today. Um, But we've spent the last four weeks talking about prayer. And if you were to ask me what's the single biggest motivator for your prayer life, I could tell you in one phrase, it's answered prayer. When I pray and God answers, when there's a need in God in response to prayer, gives really clear direction. Or if there's someone who's been really far from God for a very long time, and people pray for that person, and they come home. Or if I'm feeling anxious about something, for no earthly reason, I just get this sense of peace from God. It just makes me want to pray more. The biggest motivator to pray in my prayer life is answer prayer. If someone were to ask me what's the single biggest demotivator in my prayer life, I could tell you that one in two words. Anybody want to take a guess? Unanswered prayer. Somebody would love to be married and they pray for years to meet the right person, but they never do. Or somebody wrestles with depression and they ask God for it to lift, and it doesn't lift. Or somebody gets seriously cheated or wronged at work, And they ask God for justice to prevail. And justice does not prevail. And everybody in this room has been there. Having deep prayers go unanswered can not just cripple your prayer life, it can cripple your faith. So today, we're going to talk about the ache and sometimes the agony of unanswered prayers. And I want to modify a framework from a really good book on prayer called Too Busy Not to Pray. And I want to modify looking at what sometimes goes wrong as we're praying. And where is God in that? What happens? In the first category, I'd say something like this. Sometimes I'm praying, but the request may be off. And in those times, God may be saying no. The Bible has quite a lot to say about that subject. The writers of the Bible are not naive about prayer. It's full of stories about people who ask for something and don't get it. In fact, the Bible may have as many stories about unanswered prayer as it does about answered prayer. One day, Peter, James, and John are on a mountain with Jesus, and they see him get radiantly transformed, and he's walking around with Moses and Elijah. And Peter says this, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, as if they're on on par with each other. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Now, here's the idea. When you don't know what to say, what option is always available to you? Don't say anything at all. One possibility didn't occur to Peter, because he could have just said to Jesus, I don't know what to say. But instead, he makes this request, and it's a bad idea. And Jesus says, no, we have more work to do. It's the wrong request. Another time, James and John decided they wanted to upgrade their heavenly seating assignments. And so they had their mother kneel before Jesus. And some of you know the story. Now, you imagine this. Their mom gets down on her knees before Jesus, and he asks her, What is it that you want? She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus says, No. 
The kingdom doesn't really work by getting your mommy to do self-promotion for you. (laughs) Another time, they went into a Samaritan village that didn't welcome them. No surprise there. Israel and Samaria had a lot of hostility between them. But because they weren't welcome, James and John go to Jesus again. Says, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? As if they could do that. And Jesus says, yeah, no thanks. All through the Bible we see this. In fact, on four separate occasions with uh, four different people, Moses, Jeremiah, Elijah, and Jonah all get discouraged And they ask God to take their lives. And in every case, God says, no, 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 no. Don't you think that when their dark mood had passed, they were glad that God had said no? Thank God that God sometimes says no. And there's an old country western song that talks about this. Anybody in here country music fans? Okay, some of you. It's a song by Garth Brooks that hit number one on the charts some time ago called Unanswered Prayers. You know that song? And the song came from a real-life experience at a football game at his old high school. And Garth Brooks saw this girl that he hadn't seen in a long time. It was a girl that he thought was beautiful and was nuts about her when he was in high school. And he would pray that God would make that girl his wife. And it didn't happen. And now, all these years later, he sees her again. And he wonders, what was I thinking? (laughs) And under his breath, he whispers, thank God. And actually, the main line of the song is, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. That ever happened to you? I was at an event not long ago, and I saw a girl that I dated for three years, half a high school In my first year of college, beautiful girl. And there were times during that relationship I prayed that we would get married, that God would make her my wife. And so I'm at this event 15 years later, and I look at her and saw her whisper under her breath, thank God. (laughs) Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and say, you're somebody's unanswered prayer. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. But you see, here's the deal. It's fundamental to the kind of person God is and to the nature of prayer that God always reserves the right to say no. Otherwise, it would be a disaster. Think about this for a moment. Every kind of power that human beings have access to, we find a way to use with great destructiveness. It's true for verbal power political power, financial power, nuclear power. Imagine in prayer that we had access to supernatural power that would always make things happen the way we wanted. It would be a disaster. Anybody who thinks the existence of unanswered prayer disproves the effectiveness of prayer has not thought about prayer very deeply. And this is why it's always wrong. And people in churches do this. It's always wrong to look for some magic formula that always makes prayer work. Sometimes people think it's a magic phrase. You know, if I just pray in Jesus' name, that's the magic. Or if I just add the phrase, if it be your will, God, 
That's the magic. Or if I pray with enough boldness, or if I conjure up enough certainty, or if I claim this rather than request it. Prayer's not a magic formula. There's an old Charlie Brown comic strip where Linus says, I have made an interesting theological discovery. If you pray with your hands folded upside down, you get the exact opposite of what you ask for. See, prayer, it's not magic. You know, there's not a superstition to it. At a very basic level, prayer is a talk with a person, a very, very wise person. And so sometimes our request will be wrong, and God says no. And thank God he does. I'll tell you the single most common wrong request. Lord, change her Change him. Make him to be like I want him to be. Make her do what I want her to do. And some of you have been praying that for a really long time. Now, it's okay to ask God to shape the people in our lives. But with that request, if I'm honest, what I'm really praying is, God, I don't want to face the reality of my own immaturity. So would you reshape that other person who will accommodate my dysfunction and feed my ego? Now, if I pray that, there's a real good chance God's going to say no. It's just the wrong request. As a matter of fact, relational brokenness is one of the primary barriers to prayer. Jesus was talking one time about prayer in very inspired ways. But one of the caveats he adds is this. He says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Because if I'm holding on to unforgiveness, it's going to lead to all kinds of wrong prayers. It's not some magic formula. It's a part of life in the kingdom of persons. So it may be, if you're experiencing no, maybe there's a wrong request. Sometimes the request may not be a bad one in itself, but it may be a timing deal. Sometimes the timing is wrong, and then God may say slow. This is not no, it's not yet. And again, whole other category in the Bible is full of this, where God's response to people is not yet. Abraham had to wait years, decades, till he was 99 years old before he finally receives a son from God through answered prayer. Israel had to wait 40 years in the wilderness before it got to the promised land. Again, not yet. Joseph had to wait two years in prison after he had interpreted the cupbearer's dream before he got released. David had to wait a whole lifetime for his prayer for the building of the temple to be completed, and he never got to be the one to build it. Israel had to wait century after century for the Messiah to come. Sometimes the request may be right, but not the timing. And so there's this great statement from the prophet Isaiah. Let's read these words out loud together, okay? They that wait upon in the Lord shall renew their strength. And what's the word up there that nobody likes? Wait. I read a few studies on patients, and there was one that reported an unusual level of frustration at how long it takes for a computer to boot up. Anybody in here experience anything like this? Think about it. What does that say about human nature? 
We have access to more information than anyone in human history. We live in an unbelievable world. We can communicate instantly with anybody on the globe. We have all the learning of human history at our fingertips. And we get irate when it takes 30 seconds for our computer to start up. Parents, one of the main character qualities you want to pass on to your children is patience. The ability to tolerate delayed gratification with grace and dignity. Do you build patience into a child by making sure that they get every whim and desire gratified immediately? Not a good idea. And God knows all about this. Peter put it like this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so, sometimes it's a timing deal, and there's going to be a period of waiting. And something that's really important to know is, a lot of times, what God is doing in you while you are waiting may end up to be more important than the thing that you're waiting for. Our problem is, we're in such a hurry. Even if it's patience we want, we want God to zap patience into us ASAP. And God uses that waiting period to shape us. And there's an old saying about God, perhaps you've heard it. God is never late, but he is rarely early. Time is so relative to us. And we have such different perspectives on it. While researching the topic of patience, I read this funny story about a tennis tournament for super seniors, folks who are at an advanced age in life. And in the final round, there was a guy who was 92 years old playing against a guy who was 94 years old. And at one point, the 92-year-old hit a cross-court shot and the 94-year-old couldn't chase it down. So he just dropped his tennis racket, stood up straight and said, oh, to be 92 again. (laughs) You know, time is such a relative thing, isn't it? And we're in such a hurry. And what God wants most in us is the shaping of our character. And that's something that can't be zapped into us. It takes time. And I want to say a few words about the will of God. God's main will for your life is that you become the kind of person that he can empower to do whatever you want to do. And I'm going to say that again because this is real critical. God's main will for your life is that you become the kind of person that he can empower to do whatever you want to do. Because God made you to have desires, to want to do things, To do wonderful things for him and the people he loves. So, God's main will for your life is that you become the kind of person that he can empower to do whatever you want to do. Because in reality, it's a reflection of your character. Dallas Willard says, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's who you become. The main thing God gets out of your life is you. Now, parents understand this. When you have kids, it's not a good idea to always tell them what to do. 
If you're always saying, wear these clothes, take this job, marry that person, live in this area, go to that school, they never learn to make choices. They never learn judgment and wisdom and responsibility. And they are stunted as persons. Sometimes a wise parent will make sure that a child has to choose. There is no other way to grow character. Our God knows all about this. And it's taken me a really long time to realize that while I was praying, what I wanted was to avoid the responsibility and the anxiety of having to make a difficult choice. Without knowing it, I would use prayer as a crutch. So I didn't have the responsibility and anxiety of making a difficult choice. And God knew that I would grow way more if I had to think and get wise counsel and choose and take responsibility than if I just got a postcard from him. And looking in the rearview mirror, I can see how God was at, way, at work in ways that I could not see ahead of me. And this next one is kind of humbling. Sometimes there's something off in me, and God will say, I want you to grow. Sometimes there's a barrier in my life that God needs to deal with. And this is from the prophet Isaiah. He says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Those are sobering words. I have a friend who was telling me about a season when he was really mad at a friend. And every time he went to pray, his mind would wander. And eventually, this friend would come to his mind. And he realized that his anger over the situation was getting in the way of his prayer life. While he was holding on to his anger, he wasn't free to pray with open hands before God. Now, it didn't mean that he could make the relationship turn out the way he wanted. But what he discovered was there was a huge difference between nursing a grudge and surrendering it. Is there any sin in your life that needs repentance? Because it's the nature of being a whole person. I can't really open myself up to God when I know I'm holding on to a sin that displeases him. Sometimes the request is wrong. God says no. Sometimes the timing's off. God says slow. Sometimes there's something wrong in me and God says grow. One more category. This is a hard one. Sometimes people ask for really good things with really good hearts and that prayer does not get answered. And I don't know. My own experience with this has to do with my mom. Many of you have met her. And if you know her, you know that she's been battling rheumatoid arthritis for over 35 years. This disease has attacked every joint in her body to the point where she's had her shoulders replaced, her wrists replaced, 
Her knees replaced, her ankles replaced, finger and toe joints fused, and nerve pain all over her body. And as her son, I've watched this disease slowly rob my mom of her health and the freedoms that so many of us take for granted every single day. So when someone asks me, if you only had one wish, or if God could answer just one prayer, what would it be? More money? A better car? More hair? What would it be? And my answer is always that God would heal my mom. That she wouldn't be in pain anymore. And over 35 years later, she still suffers. I don't know. And everybody in this room has been there. Some of you are going through that right now. I cannot point you to an explanation that has all the answers. Nobody can, no matter their faith or their age. I can only point you to a person. I can only tell you that at the heart of the gospel is an unanswered prayer. Jesus, kneeling in the garden, prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup, this suffering, this death pass from me. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. This is the most desperate prayer ever prayed from the most discerning spirit ever to live, from the purest heart that ever beat, for deliverance from the most unjust suffering ever known. And all he got was silence. Heaven was not moved. The cup was not taken away. His request was denied. And from that unwanted, unmerited suffering came the hope of the world that remade history. Because the ultimate answer to every human anguish, including the anguish of unanswered prayer, is a sin-stained, blood-soaked cross where God himself suffered. Nobody has all the answers. But I was thinking this week, what if all those prayers got answered yes? You know, Israel was the people of God. And they had a dream to be this great nation. And they lost that dream by having to go into exile. It was horrible and painful. And there was suffering. And they cried out, God, don't make us go into exile. What if God had said yes? What if Israel become this great world power with lots of money and big armies and never had to go into exile? Kept her faith all to herself. Never had prophets that dreamed of another kingdom, of a better kingdom, of a spiritual kingdom that the whole human race could be a part of. Paul prayed, God, would you remove this thorn from my flesh? And Paul was obedient to Christ in unbelievable ways. What if God had said yes? What if Paul had been healed of his thorn of the flesh and become even more impressive and traveled even more and learned to boast in his great strength and his great giftedness and turned the movement of that early church into a monument of human greatness? 
Jesus asked in Gethsemane not to be crucified. What if God had said yes? What if Jesus had been spared that cup? There would be no cross, no death, no tomb, no resurrection, no forgiveness of sins, no outpouring of the Holy Spirit, no birth of the church. I don't know why some prayers get yeses and some prayers get noes. I know the anguish of a no when you want a yes more than anything in the world. I don't know why. I only know that in the cross, God's no to his only son turned into God's yes to every human being who ever lived. Would you pray with me? This is a moment of praying to God, with God, which we've been talking about in this series. God is right here. This is Bethel. And I think he would invite you, whatever your ache is, wherever there's a no, when you want so badly for it to be a yes, would you bring it to him right now? A dream? A disappointment? A problem in your health? Or the health of someone you love? A crushing burden in your finances or your work? Somebody that you have lost? Somebody that's a long, long way from home? Heavenly Father, we kneel now at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Would you speak to us in this moment? Would you bring healing through him right now? We pray in his name. Amen.